In today's episode, we're going to talk about gamification and how games in school help with student engagement. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Let's Tech About Learning podcast. This is your host, Jennifer Schaefer. Stay tuned for some great learning tips, best practices, and awesome tech tools. So today I wanna talk about games and how you can use them in the classroom for engagement and to make learning fun. My experience with games started back in teacher college. Well, my experience with using games for learning started in teacher college, but really I remember playing games my entire life. Um, Around the house, we would play board games, playing games at school, at Sunday school, at, birthday parties, all kinds of different ways to play games for learning. But when I became a teacher, I started looking at how to really use those to leverage learning in my classroom for my students. So in Texas, which is where I live and went to college, um, you get to pick whether you're going to be a high school teacher or a middle school teacher or an elementary teacher when you are going to college training to be a teacher. Now, back in the day when I got my certification, it was either elementary or secondary. Now there is a middle grade kind of track you can go on. And I knew I wanted to be a high school speech and theater teacher. However, I lived in a small town with only one high school and only one person that did that job. And at the end of college, I wanted to be employable because I was a single mom and it needed to uh, lead to a job. So about a year into college, I changed to elementary education as my major. And at the end of my coursework, when I did my student teaching, I student taught in a fourth grade class. Now I had an awesome cooperating teacher who is now an administrator. uh, But one of the things that I remember from her class is playing this review game that I would take Um, with me to my own class when I started teaching high school the following year. And what she would do is she would take questions from upcoming tests and she would divide the class into two and it would be a basic tic-tac-toe game um, where one team got to answer the question and if they answered it correctly, they got to decide where to put their X And then the other team, if they got theirs correctly, they got to pick where to go their zero. And we just drew it out on the dry erase board with markers. And it was just a real simple way to organize a review game very quickly. The kids loved it. Uh, You could easily use score points to manage the level of um, student engagement. We can talk about being off task behaviors. So it was kind of the self-monitoring activity. And I, as a high school teacher, would use it um, and I would purposefully kind of do experiments on my kids. Um, So just to see how well kids were studying on their own and learning on their own, some subjects and some units, I would do this review game with them the day before and some units I wouldn't do it with them at all. Uh, and then I would compare the grades. Now, you know, nothing scientific in this at all. I'm just watching and, and kind of um, seeing how this goes. And it tended to see, I tended to see that when students reviewed with me in a game form before the test, then they usually were more successful on the test. And because of that fun um, interaction, they a lot of times learned things better. And it was 
a, a great way for me to kind of understand who was going to be prepared for the test um, before we actually took it, which ideally is what formative assessment is all about. So formative assessment was another way that I would incorporate games in my classroom. Now with the introduction of technology, it became very helpful to gather data with technology that you could then turn around and see how your students were doing question by question. Uh, my first kind of experience with that, uh, as many of us were, were the um, student response systems that you used to have. So you'd pull out the big bag and hand everybody something that looked like a remote control and then they were able to respond with the screen and you could take quizzes and see kind of where they are. It was It's the exit ticket concept, but all kind of rolled into one. So it was kind of an automation or um, a technology version of the game that I would play with tic-tac-toe, which was just simple and kind of organic. Now we're, we're seeing that a lot of those big systems that would cost several hundred or thousands of dollars, those are kind of no longer useful because with schools doing BYOD, bring your own device or one-to-one -one programs, it's much easier to use devices that students already have and just use the software in order to add that formative component to it. Um, some of what I've used in the past are Plickers. If you're familiar with Plickers, those are actually a way to get formative assessment in a game type of format where only the teacher needs to have the device. So the teacher would use their phone or an iPad. The students would have a pre-printed card that each of them would have assigned to their name. And when the teacher asked the question, the students would hold up their card and, and lay it in a specific direction based on their answer of true, false, or A, B, C, D. And then the teacher would scan the crowd and all the cards and it would instantly grade it based on the action of an app on this, the teacher's device. So that's a really simple way to add some gamification and easy formative assessment without having a one-to-one -one program or having access to technology for all your students. If you do have the option to have um, technology for all your students, a couple of easy tools to gamify your reviewing and get that assessment is Kahoot and Quizzes. Both of these are programs where the students join a game with a game code from their own device. The questions are on the board and the students then answer the questions and they get a score. And those games keep a leaderboard. So at the end of your set of questions, you can see who got the most points. Um, and you, but the teacher still gets all of the data in a spreadsheet format so that they can see specifically what student missed what question and how well they did. Now, formative assessments and formative data is incredibly important as you're teaching a concept in order to know where your students are, where you need to reteach, where you need to um, maybe find more practice for them so they can really grasp that concept. And being able to gamify it makes it really, really exciting for your students. 
lots of different ways that you can pull games into classes, but gamifying that formative assessment is a really simple way tied to your curriculum. Uh, there will be links to several of these tools on the podcast website. So if you wanna explore those on your own, think about ways that you can use those game show aspects to get formative assessment from your students in your class. So another way I used to use games in my classroom, because I was teaching uh, speech and theater, which really have a lot of games attached to them, I used it so that I could reach those students who weren't visual and auditory learners. Um, especially when it comes to theater, there are lots of great acting games that you can get students involved in that really hit those kinesthetic and tactile learners where they have to get up and physically move and make things happen. Not only did we do those types of games, I also like to go to the dollar store and different places and pick up games that I could incorporate um, a lot of times as party games and that you could make work in your class. So a couple of the ones that I used, and I use these not just in teaching speech and theater classes, but I would pull them and teach them, use them in English. Um, I used them with lots of different classes, just kind of tweaked our objective and what we were trying to accomplish. But some of the games that we loved were gestures, which is kind of like charades. Um, the students had to pull cards and decide which they were gonna try to act out for the audience and the audience had to pick and you couldn't say anything. Um, so it was a, a structure to doing a charades game, which the students really loved. Another one that I had, it was a board game. It was a party game, an adult party game. So I went through and pulled all the topics that could have easily uh, become inappropriate in a classroom and tossed those out. Um, but it was called Moods. And so as a speech teacher, I taught uh, nonverbal communication and we talked about tone and we talked about how what you don't say sometimes communicates as much or more than what you do say. And this game was one where students had to deliver a line in a specific mood and they didn't necessarily match. And then whoever was in your, t your playing with you had to try to guess what mood you were delivering the line in. And it was really funny when they didn't match at all. So on the board game, there would be 10 different moods. The player would pull a card and then secretly they would roll a dice and figure out which of the moods they had to communicate the line in and then everyone had to guess. So you would get things like, um, I think you're beautiful would be the line, but then you had to deliver that as if you were sad or angry. And so it became a lot of fun. Um, it was also a great building of vocabulary experience because when you, when you get a mood like aloof and the kids have no idea what that means, um, it was really interesting. We keep our dictionaries around so they could look it up. And I always had tons of questions I had to answer and lots of examples I had to give. But the students loved when they came into class and saw board games sitting out. And it's easy, easy to incorporate board games into lots of different content areas and give students the brain break from instruction, but also reinforce what you're learning in the classroom in a fun and engaging kind of way.
Now, so far we've talked about really simple ways to toss some gaming elements into your class. Now, there are some people who really embrace games and gamification and really take it up to a totally different level. Um, I've read blog posts of teachers who create an entire game world and badge system for everything that the students learn in their classes. And I can see where that will be motivating to some students and really add an, a level of excitement uh, rather than just learning basic things without that level up kind of option. Um, lots of different ways to, to address that. I mean, you can read tons of blog posts. I'll link some at the website as well. But the idea is that students accomplish certain goals or certain tasks, and in doing so, they earn a badge. And then with those badges, they get to level up and earn things. Um, it seems really daunting as a teacher to kind of turn your entire class um, into a game like that. So maybe if you want to try it, try it on a single unit or a single project-based learning activity. There are softwares like Classcraft, which is an entire website um, software that you can purchase, add your students in, and it does a lot of that gamification for you. But there's tons of simple ways that you can have incorporate students earning badges and working through a board game as they earn those badges. Uh, maybe you're using a badging system of some kind with reading or with learning different math facts or, and, and there be some kind of prize or challenge at the end. I've seen schools that use a badging system and a challenge system associated with, with their makerspace where students accomplish different tasks and get badges based on the specific tool they're using or what they've created. Maybe their objective, the challenge is to build a circuit with um, any kind of tool from the makerspace that demonstrates certain pieces of uh, electricity concepts that they've learned. And then they earn the electricity badge at the end and maybe even earn a badge specific to the tools they use, like little bits. Um, I've seen classes that have gamified by adding badging into just basic skills and even basic character development um, where students earn badges based on how they react in certain situations, um, helping keep their environment, school, uh, then their, clean, their school clean, in uh, different ways that you can add that element of engagement um, to really make students want to earn and try and learn on their own in order to get that prize or that badge or level up to whatever the next thing is in the classroom. Any discussion of games would be remiss without discussion of computer games. And there are lots of computer games that educators are using with students to reinforce learning. I can remember personally buying a Blue's Clues CD-ROM game for my son, who's now in his 20s, uh, when he was three for preschool. And we used that with him to reinforce the learning that he was doing 
offline, right? So he was learning his colors and his shapes and his numbers. And then these educational games, um, they reinforce that. When we use all types of games like that in education and tons of games that uh, your schools subscribe to to reinforce any types of learning objectives that you're working on, whether it's math facts or reading or any number of things. I'm also reminded of games that have nothing to do with education that are purely fun that teachers have found ways to incorporate, like Minecraft. Now, my kids have outgrown Minecraft um, a number of years ago, but there was a big boom, and there still is, of educators being able to incorporate that game that students enjoyed into learning and reaching kids in a way that we were unable to reach them before. So I think innovative teachers are using games in lots of different ways. Whether they have anything to do with the content that they're teaching or whether it's just using a an item that the students like and the students are doing in their own time and finding a rele relevant way to bring that into the classroom. So I was not the most supportive video game mom um, out there for sure. My kids, especially my son, big video game player in middle school and high school. And I remember saying, dude, put that stuff away and do your homework. Uh, but he was also a successful student. He was in honors classes and pre-AP and AP, and he did really well in school. He was in band, and he was in UIL, and he was successful and played video games. So I thought it was an interesting um, opportunity to have a conversation with my son, Zachary, about video games, his background in them, what's so appealing, and just kind of talk about some of the things that I experienced as a mom in an age of video games when I wasn't really a video game player. So here's a quick interview with my son, Zachary. So today I'm here with Zachary Vasquez. Zachary is a 20-something, happens to be my child. Um, and so we have had conversations over the years about video games. Me being the mama that says, you should do something other than video games and him arguing that there is educational content in the video games. So since this episode is about games and using games for learning, I thought this would be an interesting conversation to have kind of a multi-generational. What is your feeling on video games? Since I am not, I never, I didn't grow up enjoying them. Um, but he did. I thought this would be an interesting conversation to have. So welcome Zachary. Hey, how's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm doing swell, actually. I appreciate uh, having a little part of your show. <laughs> so, the first question I have for you is, what is the first video game you remember playing? The first video game I remember playing, actually, I played with you. Um, I was very, very young, but it was Contra on the Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> and I remember that we used to work together to uh, get to the end and... Rarely could we actually get there without doing the little Konami code, so. So I remember video games, um, Atari, way back in the day. We used to play it at the deer camp. 
Um, but when I was in high school, your grandfather, my dad, bought Nintendo. Our first game was Top Gun. And it, we were, it was really hard to get that airplane at the end to land on the aircraft carrier. But I think that's when we had Contra for the first time, was way back when I was in high school. So I don't know if we were playing the same game or we bought a new one, but I do remember playing Contra with you. So I also remember playing a game um, that was snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that was kind of fun because you were trying to get on the little, I don't know. They were, they were all racing kind of games that I remember most. So if you had to pick a certain kind of video game, what would you say is your favorite? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I really have to say a favorite type of video game would probably be somewhere along the lines of uh, uh, aircraft simulations. As far as the Ace Combat series, um, I mean, those are more arcadey. Um, but I just really enjoy the aesthetic, being able to, you know, fly these aircraft that I won't ever be able to do in real life, more than likely. Just, uh, it's just, uh, it's real, it's a real interesting feeling to just kind of load into that world and see it open up in front of you, and there's just a lot of possibilities there. You know, I remember when you were probably middle school, maybe high school, really got interested in video games and wanted to play them all the time. Uh, what kind of games were you playing at that point? I want to say, at that point, um, I played a lot of the Assassin's Creed series, um, a lot of shooters, especially Call of Duty, um, you know, because that was kind of the thing that every all the guys at school would talk about, you know, uh, this is my KD on this map, and I went this far, and I got the tactical nuke, 25 kills, and I did this, and I did that, and it just became, it, pretty much everyone was part of that community, and so it was, it was kind of the, the popular thing to do at the time. So it was an extension kind of of your friendship at school that you would turn around and play together? Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. You, we would, you know, swap gamer tags and, uh, you know, PlayStation IDs and everything, and we'd just all, we'd all play games together. Because I remember you planning, I don't remember what you were, some kind of headset you were wearing, Xbox maybe, and you were talking to your friends and actually doing homework via that system while you're playing video games. That didn't happen very often, but yeah, it did most definitely. I also remember there was a infatuation with World of Warcraft at some point. Tell me about that. Uh, well, that was, uh, was in my formative, really early formative years, I'd probably say early teens. Um, it kind of came across, it was just a game, it was very social, it was very open-ended. Uh, it was one of those games where if you saw anything, you could probably go to it. Like the at that point, the limit was really your imagination, and it was a very long game. And it was one of the first games I played that never ended. Typically, there's a point A and a point B. You know, you kill the guys, you get the points, you get through all the levels, the game's over. World of Warcraft was not that way. It just never ended, and they kept adding expansion on expansion upon expansion. Um, I will say, though, that when I was younger, especially when I was younger, it was very, very easy to get caught up. And you would get caught up in this world and meet these people and have all this fun. And I do specifically recall being so infatuated with it that I wouldn't want to leave. And I only played this when I was, uh, when I was actually at my father's house. And uh, we would visit, you know, every other weekend. Um, but I was obsessed with the game. We would... We play till two, three in the morning. We go to bed till about six or seven. We wake up and do it all over again. 
and that was that was just normal for me and it was it was an interesting time and it was a really great game but that's just something that's kind of scary about it just got to be aware of what can happen but thankfully I was able to pull myself away from it once I graduated high school so can you kind of understand the um based on that experience, what we're reading about Fortnite and those kind of addictions, and that's something you, would you say you've experienced with some of the video games you, that you used or you played? I, I would say yes. Um, just like, you know, World of Warcraft, Fortnite is never, it never ends. It's an ever-changing game. Um, it's very popular, very, very popular. Uh, it's pretty much available on every single device you can think of, from your cell phone all the way up to, I mean, your computer, PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, everything. Um, it's very, very much a social thing, um, you know, getting into those squads and getting into those matches with all your friends at school, seeing how far you can get, you know, with, as working as a team, um, or based upon your skill alone, I can definitely see how that could be an issue, especially for parents nowadays. Yeah. So would you say that, um, what, what kind of skills do you think that playing video games reinforces that we address in the education realm, the things that we want kids to learn. What would you say and what kind of video games have those skills that we would want to reinforce? It's a good question. I would have to say critical thinking is a big one. Um, teamwork is also another big one. Um, right now I am big into a game called Destiny 2 and what they have, they have these things called raids and it's a six-person event uh, it has an A to a B, so it eventually ends, but you all have to have certain mechanics in mind. Think about, you know, when the boss does this, that means I need to do this, and if I don't do this, we all die. And so you got to think about all these things. You have to communicate accurately and concisely to everyone in your group to make sure that we are all coordinated enough to get this taken care of. Um, another good one as far as critical thinking, Portal is a... It's really good. It's a puzzle game, basically, and the premise is you have a gun that can shoot two portals. You go in one, and you come out the other, and so through that, you kind of have to, you know, use use your mind to think about cause and effect. If I do this, then this happens, and you have to um, work all that out. And you know, as it's as you're moving through the world, and make sure that you can do all that. So as far as communication, you know, critical thinking, those are two, two really good ones that come to mind. We really don't need um, reaction time in education. You know, pretty much students have a good amount of time to do things. Um, I'd have to say those really two, and maybe, maybe part of the imagination, because, you know, it's always good to have that imagination going, everything flowing, like, you know, say you've got an essay to go write and you don't know what to write about, and you got to figure it out. Maybe you have a two-hour time limit because I remember those. Those were terrible. Um, you know, just kind of being able to come up with ideas on the spot and then really elaborate and um, expand on them. It's a really good, really good thing. Yeah, I re I'm actually very excited to see that even though I, we went round and round in middle school and high school over the video games, that, you know, it's something you enjoy now, but it has its place more as a hobby, I think, because you are, you know, have your own apartment, you support yourself, you have a job, but you still enjoy these things, but they fit more into one little chunk of your life as opposed to an addictive kind of. Do you think that kids and teens are more ex 
susceptible to that addiction and you outgrow it? Or how, how do you think video games are just a hobby for you now? Or how does that work right now in your life? They definitely are a hobby. It's, it really depends on the game itself. Um, the, I'm a, you know, tr uh, Twitch and, you know, YouTube and streamers and everything is a real popular thing. There are people that are good and they get out there and they, they become um, almost influencers on the games they play. And, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people will watch them. And um, that's where the... I guess the addiction kind of plays in because all, all of our, you know, all of our young kids from pretty much elementary up to up to high school, they're all YouTube as, as a mainstay. And so that's something they're constantly exposed to. And that can kind of drive, you know, hey, I want to be the next big streamer. I want to ne be the next big, you know, Twitch content creator. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so that can definitely drive, you know, part of an addiction, especially, you know, when you're younger in the impressionable years. Um, but yeah, you know, as an adult, having my own job, having a career, having an apartment, bills I've got to pay, bills are terrible by the way, um, you just kind of, it, it, it only can be a hobby. There's no way that you can really do it. I mean, you just, just as an adult, you just can't. So I, I think you were too old to have gotten into the Minecraft kind of, you missed the Minecraft uh, craze. Um, that I guess is we're kind of moved into another craze. Maybe you hear more about Fortnite than Minecraft, but um, I think it's interesting you mention YouTube because there are tons of tweens and middle schoolers who have YouTube channels talking about their Minecraft gaming um, and how those they're teaching each other skills and people are not just playing the games, but watching other people playing the games to learn more. So very interesting. Um, one of the things I think is interesting, you were involved in mostly band. You did UIL, which is an academic contest here in Texas, um, throughout high school. But recently, I have heard about eSports um, tournaments that are kind of between schools going on. Some stuff is happening in California. There's a couple of school districts in Texas. I think um, Burleson ISD in the Dallas area and College Station ISD or somewhere in that area are hosting eSports tournaments. What are your thoughts on that as a, as a school activity? It's something I would never would have dreamed of being back in high school. It's just not something that even ever crossed my mind. The, the way that with, with eSports and everything, basically... It really comes down to the quickness of your mind, and what I mean by that is you can train yourself up. Everyone starts off at a level playing field, because the big guys are going to be, you know, on football. The the um, the the flexible girls are going to be in gymnastics. They're going to be out there cheerleading and all that. But really, anyone can be in esports because it's all about hand-eye coordination. It's all about reaction time. It's all about knowledge, um, map knowledge which lane do I need to go down, when to push, when to retreat, and just a few different things. Um, but as far as, as far as the, the effect of esports, it, I think it'll be real interesting. Um, I'd like to see, I, actually, I'm, I'm curious if how integrated this is going to be into maybe um, curriculum or, you know, would it be something big enough like the UIL or like, you know, band competitions Obviously, 30, 40 years ago, this was never a thing. 
But nowadays, as things change, as, you know, as school atmospheres change, it could be something very interesting, something definitely to, to watch and keep an eye on. All right, anything else you want us to know about video games? I know you're pro video game. De definitely pro. Um, and you call me from time to time and say, hey, I'm in this video game, and it's I'm in historic New Orleans, or I am walking around in Rome. And so um, I, I, I hear from you about the history aspects of some of those games, too. So I think that's interesting. The, the, the one I think you're talking about is going to be the, the Assassin's Creed series. Um, and that's made by Ubisoft. And Ubisoft prides themselves, especially with that series, in trying to be as historically accurate as possible. So uh, one that I can remember was, is a game called AC Liberation, Assassin's Creed Liberation. And you are a adopted daughter of a um, more wealthy, more prominent family. Um, but you can just walk around and see the city, see the walls. Um, we actually went on a trip to New Orleans, what was it, two years ago, three years ago? Yes. And I got to walk around all these landmarks, like, you know, Cafe Du Monde and, you know, Jackson Square and everything. And I can walk in the game and find these landmarks, like the cathedral right off of Jackson Square. I can find Jackson Square. It doesn't look the same, nearly. But they pride themselves on making things as realistic as possible and as historical as possible. Um, so, and there's, there's just so many things that can be accomplished through video games being in, and I, I believe, this is my personal opinion, but I believe that it is an art form um, because there's just so many things that you can create, so many things you can think up. Really, the imagination is the, is the only barrier to what you can think up. Um, but I, I think they're great. I'm definitely, definitely pro video game. All right. Thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Appreciate it. Of course. So I hope this episode has made you think about how you can use games, whether it's a simple form of games or gamifying everything you do in your class, um, but use games for engagement, for extending the learning, and for really helping students to collaborate and critical think and have a good time with learning. I hope to see you again. Thanks for listening. Catch us next time on the Let's Tech About Learning podcast. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Plus, visit our website at letstechaboutlearning.com. Until next time.